Hello everybody, my name's Darren, I write a blog, it's called The Demon's Voice, you can find it at demonsvoice.blogspot.com and I'm on Twitter at Demon's Voice, which you should definitely follow me because why the fuck not? How are you all? Hope you're having a good week. It's all shit, isn't it? The coronapocalypse drags on. I actually jogged around to a friend's the other day, which was nice. I stood at the end of their drive like a fucking tramp, obviously, because, and before you all get your balls in a twist and turn into the social distancing police, uh, but we're all roughly the same age, me and my friends, but they're doing a lot better than I am in terms of life. They have a house, a child, they're married, whereas I have been panic-buying Hellboy comics and playing non-stop Animal Crossing for the last month. I asked uh, what they'd been up to, and they told me that their child had started to talk and even identified parts of her own body, which is pretty impressive. Uh, so they'd ask, where's your head? And she'd point at her head. It was uh, very cute. Uh, she's not even one, so that seems clever to me. Then they asked me what I'd been up to, and I explained to them about how I'd been reading a comic in which Roger the Homunculus had teamed up with Lobster Johnson to save Hellboy, the beast of the apocalypse, from a Nazi. Well, he wasn't really a Nazi, more a head in a jar that used to be a Nazi. But they had to save Hellboy from a Nazi who was forced him to fight a genetically modified gorilla that had been given metal hands to punch him with. And there was a pause, obviously, and they said, Right. Then there was another pause while they tried to work out how much lockdown had been fucking with my mental health, which is not very much, as it turns out. And then they asked if Lobster Johnson was a real lobster. I guess I couldn't think of anything else to, else to say. So I laughed in their face, uh, their stupid fucking faces, and explained, obviously he's not a real lobster. You fucking idiots, that would be stupid. He's a B-movie action hero that just happens to be a real. In the wall of the comic, I mean. And brands Nazis with a red-hot piece of metal that's in the shape of a lobster claw that he keeps in, inside of his glove. Anyway, then I told him about, uh, told them rather, about Animal Crossing, and how I just didn't know how I was going to be able to pay back Tom Nook, a loan I'd taken out from him, and his raccoon family because I'd lost a shit ton of bells on the turnip market after being ripped off by Daisy May, the turnip-selling pig last Sunday. Anyway, so speaking of this week, it's been a, it's been a long week. Speaking of this week, I also rewatched Duncan Jones' Netflix film Mute. It got an absolute kicking from the critics when it was first released, and so I suppose this is my attempt at defending it because I just happen to think it's really rather good. So sit back and enjoy as I ramble on about an Amish man from the future as he tries to track down his blue hood girlfriend. Enjoy and cheers. Mute begins with a young boy involving himself in an accident that leaves his throat ripped open with his Amish parents refusing his treatment as a result of their religious beliefs. Seems pretty reasonable to me. I don't have children because they make too much noise and so if I could get away with having one shut the fuck up whilst being able to pin the guilt onto God then I'd probably go for it too. The boy had his throat ripped open by a speedboat which caused many critics to joke about how few times that they've seen an Amish person on a speedboat for this to happen. Now firstly, I would point out that it doesn't seem to be Amish people driving the boat, or piloting it, or captaining it, or whatever it is that you do to control one of those things. If anybody knows the verb for being an aquatic leisure twat, then let me know. But it seems that some randomers have accidentally ran the kid over as he was swimming. I know that these people have pretty strict rules regarding modern technology, but unless critics are confusing the Amish with the Wicked Witch of the West, then it seems fairly plausible that they might at least occasionally go near the fucking water. Secondly, and even if I'm wrong about this, and it was the Amish people in charge of the boat, then are you seriously telling me that you've never seen this before? You've had the internet all this time, and you've still not gotten around to typing in every possible combination of words before the word porn, because I guarantee that this always yields results, and if you don't think there is any Amish speedboat porn out there, then you are living an embarrassing lie. Cut to future Berlin, where this film is set, and we see that Leo, our little Amish boy, has grown up without his voice and started to work at the bar of the local titty club. He's even gotten himself a girlfriend, Nadira, I guess is how you say it, which I think must be the dream combination for any relationship, right? 
She's got a partner that can't answer back or interrupt her, and he's got one that can't get too mad that he spent his day hanging out with other naked women. The story begins when she goes missing, though, and our silent hero is forced to turn detective to track her down. Many critics complained that the film suffered with her character being gone uh, because of how charming Synops Sailors, I don't know, performances her had been. I agree that she was brilliant in the film, and I felt her loss when she was gone, but isn't that the fucking point? If you're going to write a movie about a character that goes missing, then wouldn't it be beneficial to have the audience actually miss and want them back? Because Mute is over two hours long, and I'd rather spend that time watching Leo try to track her down over having him forget and then just start fucking about on Tinder for the remainder of the movie. Not that the Amish use Tinder, I imagine. I don't even know how they'd meet new people. In real life? Freaks. The film would also be pretty annoying if we had to spend it watching Leo track down a character that we had no desire for him to find, too. It'd be like when I fart in work and everybody starts trying to work out who did it. Stop trying to track me down and just let it go, you pedantic fuckers. On the flip side, it seemed as though this consensus was that Alexander Skarsgård's performance as Leo was thought to be one-dimensional, with him playing nothing more interesting than a silent Liam Neeson-esque revenger. Although, ignoring how much we'd all probably prefer Liam Neeson if he'd lost the ability to speak over the last few months, I can't help but disagree. Leo isn't a brooding thug, but rather the beating heart of the movie. He might not say very much, but his performance is one of pain and frustration. Just look at his big, sad eyes, for fuck's sake. Leo is an Amish mute man in a world ruled by technology, with him being lifted out of the water as a child and being forced to live in a world that is unsuitable for him, Leo is quite literally a fish out of water. Yeah, I found a metaphor, what of it? As we see in the movie, he can't even order food because he's required to speak into a machine to tell it what he wants. Leo looks at the world with the sadness that I imagine a cow would look at you after you just spent the night tipping it over in a field, which ironically is probably a great game to play when you're Amish and your religion forbids you from buying a Nintendo Switch. Unflattering comparisons were made between Skaskar's performance here and Sally Hawkins' one in the film The Shape of Water, which had been released in that same year. Both play mutes, and I'll agree that Hawkins' character has a much greater range, but in the defence of this film, its main character is a classic example of the emotionally repressed noir detective, whereas Hawkins plays a woman that falls in love with an aquatic humanoid that she finds imprisoned by her government. I love both films and uh, both performances, but it feels an unfair comparison to hold Where's My Girlfriend up against I'm probably going to fuck that fish monster in a minute. Perhaps what got people's backs up though were the characters of Cactus and Duke, played by Paul Rudd and Justin Theroux. They were inspired by two characters from Robert Altman's M.A.S.H., although, for a Bond obsessive like myself, it was Diamonds of Forever's Mr. Winter Mr. Kit that I was reminded of. Rudd and Theroux's characters are surgeons for the mob, with both giving very charismatic and watchable performances. Also, one of them is a paedophile. What? Many people questioned why we had to spend the movie watching their characters in what is a subplot, when you don't find out their real relevance until the end of the film. Did I just say one of them was a paedophile? Although as story conventions go, I'd argue that it's actually quite traditional to reveal the truth of a mystery at the end of the fucking story. Otherwise, it's not really a mystery, is it? It's just a fact. It's why in pub quizzes they tend to give you the question first instead of simply reading out a list of random words that we're meant to give a shit about. Hearing the word ant out loud in a pub quiz is a lot more fun when you've then spent the last 20 minutes trying to remember which of them got pissed up and smashed the fuck out of a car before writing down deck. Anyway, one of them is a paedophile, and people weren't happy of running through his characters, I mean, not Anton Deck, although, I don't know, maybe. In honesty, I'm a little unsure of why it was a problem that Mute had a paedophile character in it, but it did piss some people off. Is it that the character was depicted as being more than just a monster? Because I'd argue that's a good thing, isn't it? To show that paedophiles aren't always so easy to spot seems like a pretty important concept that we need to understand. If that wasn't true of real life, there'd be a law allowing you to just sucker punch any old man that we spot with his pants too high and his hands in his pockets as he walks slowly around a playground all day. Although, in that situation, I might just err on the side of caution and do it anyway. Perhaps it was the fact that the film wasn't an intense drama that was exclusively about child abuse, and it had dared to go near that subject that annoyed people. 
Well, but it is a noir. It's about bad people. Why shouldn't paedophiles be a part of that? In the new Netflix film Extraction, a character is seen throwing children off a building into their deaths, with some critics concluding that overall it was a thrill ride of an action movie. So, it's okay to murder children, but it's not okay to abuse them. I'm not trying to justify abusing children here, just to clarify. Obviously, I'm trying to understand why fictionally murdering a fictional child is seen as less of a taboo than fictionally diddling some fictional children. It still sounds like I'm trying to justify nonsense, doesn't it, okay? Look, if anything, I'd be more likely to justify throwing children off a roof than I would having sex with them. I don't like noisy children, remember, so I'd want to justify the crime that results in them making less noise, not more. Okay, this has gone horribly wrong. Ignore everything I've just said for the last few seconds. And years, really, let's face it. I think that what I love about Mute is in the way that it constantly seems to deviate from what you might expect it to do. I admit that the pedo stuff is uncomfortable to watch, but that's intentional. People just assumed you were meant to like these two characters because we've been conditioned by more conventional buddy movies to like our cinematic anti-heroes. But nobody is expected to like a nonce and a psychopath, since the BBC got into trouble for its choice of children's television hosts in the mid-70s. I love the world of Mute 2, which feels so fully realised that you forget how much of a leap it is from our current existence. People said that its design was a little too Blade Runner, but beyond the neon lighting, that's just not true. Blade Runner feels like a world that is on its last legs, whereas Mute's Berlin seems like it's doing okay for itself overall. And even if they were near on identical, we see that Mute's world has sex robots in it, which is kind of a deal-breaker for me in terms of future dystopian societies. When Deckard goes off with Rachel at the end of Blade Runner, you're left with the feeling that they aren't going to get very far. But with Mute, it feels as if Leo and Nadira... I don't know, however you say it... might have a chance, so as long as he can find her before it's... I'll say that again. But with Mute, it feels as if Leo and his girlfriend might have a chance just so long as he can find her before it's too late. I ignored messages from my Tinder profile whilst watching this film because I was more concerned about their romantic life than I was my own. Also, I was still thinking about the sex robots, if I'm completely honest. If comparisons do have to be drawn between this and Blade Runner, then I hope it's because it too ends up becoming the cult classic that it deserves to be in years to come. If you've already seen it, then I hope I've convinced you to see it again, and if you'd never heard of it before, then I at least hope that you now decide to give it a chance. But, ignoring all that, I hope at the very least I've introduced you to the concept of online Amish speedboat porn. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers, and see you next time. <laughs>